0: is the falcon twin podcast from falcon i'm brendan the pod pinhead and this is commentary for pages 293 to 304 page 293 baby it's cold outside so this is a scene where i'm going to basically do a whole bunch of exposition between when they're in near mara and near tendra and as usual mika ends up being the butt of everyone's joke because she's the only one who didn't know that near tendra was freezing cold even though actually i think some of the other characters alluded to it earlier but Mika didn't really pick up on that and so here she is with just a sort of skimpy jacket compared to the rest and no long pants at all and of course people are gonna say oh well, maybe her legs would freeze off it's a comic guys it's not a documentary anyway so Mika's pissed off about this and Annika's kind of pissed off about listening to Mika whine one of the things that I tried to do in the second panel was to try to add some depth by giving different, obviously different sizes and placement of the characters, but also to, to change the degree of fog that was on them so Evan and Annika are clear while tresca has got a little bit of haze and more snow in front of her, and then Mika's got even more haze and even more snow in front of her to try to push them back. And actually, I think it was one of the better panels in Falcon Twin as far as having depth of you know what's going on, and so you don't have characters that are all kind of on the same plane page 294, would you like some cheese with that wine? And so here Tresca's trying to pin the blame back on Mika, who is again upset. Tresca mentions that this will build character for Mika. That was a little reference to Calvin and Hobbes, where Calvin's dad would always take them on trips, and Calvin didn't want to go, and Calvin's dad would say, but it builds character. And if you look on this page, you can also see that Tresca has her headbands flying off to the side because of the wind. It's actually probably not that windy, (laughs) because that would have to be sort of a gale force wind to send those things flying that crazily like that. I mean, They're pretty much horizontal but it's windy enough that it's kind of pushing them to the side a little bit and so here I get to do the exposition on who the SIF are some 150 or so pages after they actually first got mentioned in the strip and so, of course, again, having Mika not be from the same world lets me get away with murder from exposition standpoint because she gets to ask, I thought you said something about a war. And I get to do all the explanation, and it's totally legitimate. And so Evan also mentions that it's where they learn most of their magic, which I don't know if I actually mentioned that before in this strip. But yeah, that's the whole thing that gets explained in a bit, is that the Sif were the ones that gave magic to everyone that you see now in the world. Page 295, how to start a war. Another wonderful Fight Club reference there, which I was very happy about. This whole concept of how the war got started was kind of a callback to Wing Commander and Babylon Five, both of which had stories that involved wars being started by misunderstandings between people who really couldn't communicate. And then once the war gets started, it's too late, and you really can't patch things up. Which is what the last two panels are. You know, they send a diplomat guy to try to fix things, and they really mess him up. And if It's hard to tell because the guy's so burnt on the last panel and there's smoke and everything in front, but his head is actually twisted about, I don't know, 135 degrees from facing forward, and there's his leg coming out of his back, so they really messed him up pretty good. It was sort of an interesting opportunity to cut away and do some different stuff instead of having just people talking heads from Evan and Annika all the time. Annika also in there with the assist on the complicated word in panel four. And normals, that was another thing in the first panel, the Ilsef called people normals. That wasn't a reference to Babylon 5, and I was really trying hard to avoid people thinking that it was a reference to Babylon 5. And in the end, I don't think anyone realized it, but in Babylon 5, all the telepaths called other people normals. And I was just deathly afraid that people were going to think that I was ripping them off. But on the other hand, it seemed like you know anyone who had some capability of doing things that other people couldn't do and it was like something significant like magic would probably consider other people to be normals or mundanes i think they also called them mundanes in babylon 5 so that's not a reference to that but i could see why people might might think it was page 296 episode ccx a new hope there's a star wars reference in there and also ccx cvi is 296 in roman numerals which is the page number and so there's this big war scene on the first panel. It kind of looks like you can see the mountains in the background. With like you can, It's almost like you can see rivets or something or relief on the mountains, but that's actually smoke that's supposed to be rising from the battlefield, which it was kind of hard to do a, a scene where there was a whole bunch of dead people all in there without having to actually draw a whole bunch of dead people, which would have, of course, taken a long time. The war turns for the worse, and the humans are being pushed into a corner, And in panel 3, you can see the map that kind of gives you a bit of an explanation of the geography of this place that they're in. The lower part of the map is the southern continent, and then the upper part is the northern continent, obviously. And there's a none-too-subtle arrow pointing the fact that the SIF are coming from the north to the south. It just gives you a little bit of an idea of what the overall map looks like. Of course there's other land masses in this world, but they don't really have contact with them. I don't know, maybe they do. It's not part of the story, so I never really gave it much thought. Also, actually in panel 3, if you look really closely, you can see a little bit of dust in the light that's coming from overhead, which is a very nice touch. Guy handing out war pamphlets. You get to see the Sif for the first time in panel 6, I guess it is. No, panel 5. And some dude holding an amazingly scary looking weapon. And the Sif. The Sif are basically humanoid, although that's pretty much all you know about them at this point. And then the mage monk dude in the last panel casting some kind of spell, which actually looks a little bit like the spell that the guys are casting in I think it was page one ninety or so, when the mages are with Sydney and they're supposed to go fry Mika. Before Annika fries them And they're casting spells that look kind of similar to this And that was intentional And this one you can see the edges aren't really crisp They're kind of diffuse Like this little cloud around the center Instead of being sort of a hard-edged ball Which is what the mages had Because of course they've been training with it for a long time And they're used to it But this guy isn't And so he is still trying to get a grasp On how the whole magic thing works Interesting looking guy It looks like something out of a kung fu movie or something I I like that Page 297 Anyway, so Evan and Annika wrap up the whole story here. And Annika, of course, a little bit bitter about the whole outcome of the war and explains exactly what happened. also very blunt, this is kind of a difference between her way of telling the story and Evan's way of telling the story, where Evan's kind of telling it like a full-fledged story that you would tell to entertain people. And Annika's just being blunt. all oh, the Sif are dead. And that's pretty much the end of it. Mika with a weird thought about people dying a lot. And Evan talking about the knowledge that's lost forever, which is kind of, in a way, based on, you know, stuff that happens in real life, too. If you go, say, look at some of the architecture in Japan, the old temples and stuff, they used ways of picking the wood and cutting it and arranging it that are, you know, gone forever because they weren't transmitted down somehow. Page 298. Actually, I just remembered as I was looking at this page now, the fur on all their outfits was something that, in retrospect, probably would have been better not to do because it's kind of a pain in the ass to do. It's not... Incredibly difficult, but it's it is does take some time, and it doesn't always look all that good as a matter of fact, oftentimes it looks sort of dumb and so and I probably should have not done that, but it wasn't interesting, and at least it broke up all the hard edges of everything in there. anyway, this page explains the aftermath of the war that after the Sif were defeated, the Durad decided, hey being in power is kind of cool, and you know we think we'll hang on to it, which is certainly not unprecedented in human history and so there's this panel in the second frame where the Durad are kind of celebrating having won the day. And this made me feel really uncomfortable when people on the forums immediately started drawing the connection to Hitler, which maybe I'm an idiot, but that was the last thing on my mind when I drew this. It was just some guy who was you know, having a celebration and he was raising his hands in triumph. But people were you know, saying, this is like Nuremberg. I'm like, oh God, what have I done? Because it's in particular, because Thorne is German, Edward Thorne on the forums, if you don't read the forums, he's the number one poster who knows Falcon Twin. Better than I do sometimes, I think. And he's German, and I know the Germans are a little sensitive about the whole war thing, so I had to send him an apology because I didn't want him to think I was making some kind of reference to Hitler. Anyway, the next panel here, you can see that they've shanked some old guy in the back. Not nearly as bloody here as it could have been, which in in a way is kind of good. And then the fifth panel where you can see that the church has stepped in to save the day. And of course, because Evan's telling the story, they get the nice happy panel with the bright explosive sunrise behind them, and it's all heroic and noble-looking, which is, you know, because Evan's telling the story, of course he's going to do that. And then he kind of wraps up the story by saying that, well, you know, they can't really stop the Durad, but they can at least keep some of the lower-level people from going too completely nuts. And that all ties back into the relationship between the police and the church that I've talked about in the last few podcasts. Page 299, and so here was the opportunity to explain the healing. I wanted to explain the healing. And I think at one point I was going to try to do it before they got to near Mirah after the fight with bandits, but I decided not to do it there because it didn't really fit. And this seemed like a good enough excuse to do it since they were already talking about magic and that sort of thing. And this was the opportunity to explain that, you know, there are two different kinds of magic. There's the sort of basic magic where you just accelerate the healing process and... Yeah, then Yeah, I think, did she mention the scar? Yeah, she mentions that there's another spell that you can use to get rid of the scar for people who are vain or have the money to afford it. I'm sure it's a fairly cheap thing. It's like getting the super size at McDonald's or something. It's only 55 cents extra. And then, of course, there's the difficult healing, which requires someone to actually know what's going on inside the body. And people seem to express some strange feelings about fourth panel here, and I don't know why. They just didn't seem to understand what was going on, but it seemed pretty clear to me that it was a Cross section of human tissue of some kind. I think the big, large mass at the bottom is supposed to be the kidney, but I'm not entirely sure. But it's just supposed to look like a cross section of human tissue. And I thought it did, but maybe it was just not conveyed clearly to people. At any rate, and so Annika takes the opportunity to build herself up a little bit. And that exposition now having been done, it's time to move on to Near Tendra and page 300, at which point you can see at the very bottom of the page there's. Me, the cynical Viking, thoroughly and completely exhausted. A little tiny Wacom pen next to him, too, if you look. This is an interesting establishing shot. This is one of the better ones. I don't know whether I like this better than Nir mara or not because it doesn't have quite as much going on, but it's also tighter and sharper, and so in that way it does look better. And I think the colors are a lot more appealing than they were in Nir mara One thing that I was trying to go for and never accomplished at all was trying to get the snow to blend into the road a little bit, especially, you know, you look at the stone pathway here down in the bottom center, and the snow is really hard and really just sharply contrasts. There's places where there's snow built up and there's no places where there's no snow at all. And I was trying to get a little bit more of a transition there, but it just didn't work out for me at all. As with every establishing shot, all the requisites are there. There's the Ninja, there's the Klampa, uh, and there's a bunch of people walking around. And, you know, as usual, you can see little stories. You see one person warming his hands by the fire and some dude in a cloak down behind the little character that I made. The building on the left, about halfway down, is some guy out taking a look at the night and his wife leaning out to call him back inside. And some big building up at the upper left, which is, I don't know what it is. It's nothing of massive significance. Also, to the background, it's a little bit less detailed than it probably should have been. I didn't realize it was going to be as clear as it was that I didn't actually draw in all of those buildings. I think I intended Tresca's house to be one of those buildings back there, just to the just to the left edge of that little sort of canyon valley area that you can see. And this actually looks better on the PC. I'm looking at it in my iBook right now and the black levels are so blown out that it doesn't have the same sort of depth of color that the PC does or you know if you're looking at it on a CRT monitor maybe it looks bad on a PC LCD also but on a CRT it looks much nicer because the colors here they're a little too washed out it looks too bright it was supposed to be dusk or twilight age 301 homecoming and so this is where I start to introduce the fact Tresky obviously has her own place but also goes to support the idea that she's actually quite successful uh, and, and does quite well for herself she has a, a nice little bit of money And so you get to see this. Originally, my idea for the home for Tresca was I I intended it to be a little bit longer left to right in the second panel here and not quite as high. I wanted the ceilings to be a little bit lower, and I didn't pull it off right. Part of it was the format, too. I mean, when the page format is, this is almost a square on this panel. And so if it were left to right wider and it were narrower top to bottom it would seem, I think a lot of it would be cut off, and it would be difficult to even show what kind of space it was, and as it is, I think the couch is a little bit too far over, and some of the stuff is not laid out all that well. But at any rate, you get to see Tresca has got a pretty nice little house, and I'll explain also the architecture of her room in a couple of pages. Page 302, Room of the View, and so Tresca gives Mika a little bit of a show here. I actually kind of like the way that her shirt sort of looks like it's stuck to her in the Third and fifth panels Mika of course blushes immediately when she gets to see it But it covers it up nicely Talking about being outside and in the cold And everything And so Tresca walks in There's an interesting sort of pose that Tresca's in on the first panel It reminds me of I don't know what it reminds me of It reminds me of some picture that I've seen somewhere Of like a guy in the 50s Coming home taking off his hat as he walks in Maybe it was from a TV show or something I can't remember And then behind Tresca in the first panel is a portrait of Tresca, and I've never really gone into detail and and shown it fully because I don't really feel like doing that because that would be work. But, you know, my reasoning was that, hey, back in the day, everyone who had money would have portraits of themselves commissioned, so Tresca did the same thing last time she was at home. And I I haven't established exactly how long it was since she was home. It's probably been, I don't know, a year, six months to a year. But i never established Devin. long enough that people hadn't seen her in a while, but not so long that it, you know she was like twelve. Page three o three, homestay, and so Mika's a little bit hesitant to be in this room with Tresca, especially with Tresca with her tits hanging out. And then this was the scene that I mentioned in the Alpha Shade interview, where Mika walks in and wiggles her toes in the rug, and people had been saying over the last couple of pages, especially once Tresca took off her her top, oh man, I want to see them dyke it out, I want to see them go have lesbian sex on that rug, because man, that rug, oh, that's hot. And then in this scene, Mika walks in and she takes off her boots and she wiggles her toes in the rug, and there were people who were saying, man, he's just teasing us. But there was really nothing of that going on at all. I mean, if you've been walking for a long time and you walk into a house with a comfy rug and you take off your shoes, you know, you go stand in the rug and it feels good. And peop- and that was all it was, but people were extrapolating it to this big thing about, you know, me changing the strip because of what they were saying, and that just wasn't the case at all. Interesting looking fire, not so wonderful in the last panel, although the smoke doesn't look too terribly bad. And also in panel four, it's, I did something that I don't do very often, which was just cut away to static stuff. And I probably should do it more because it would save me work, but I don't do that very much. And actually, the the feet on Mika, the legs and the feet in the fifth panel. Don't look all that bad, really. I know I've I had some more feet in, well, later on when Tresk is pacing back and forth after Mika's gone out to fight the Durad. And those didn't look as good, but these were actually quite good feet. The knees, don't look at the knees, because the knees don't look so great. But I think that the the construction of the feet looked really good, especially the toes and the way that they're kind of wiggling and everything. I, I think that looks pretty good. And now, boo-frickety-hoo! So this was the Halloween thing for 2005, this was a page, and shameless use of the leaf brush from Photoshop in the background, this was a page where I was kind of pissed off at the end of it, because not at at the end of drawing it, but after I started to see people's reactions, because everyone was saying, man, who is Tresca dressed up as? I mean, who is that? Now, I could see that you might not understand who Miko's dressed up as, because, I don't know, maybe there are multiple characters that have an outfit like that, and maybe... You haven't played Dead or Alive, so you wouldn't recognize her. But how could you not freaking know what Tresca is? I mean, obviously, either you have no idea at all, or you know. But there's no ambiguity if you you don't think you know, because there's no other character anywhere that's got such a stupid, goofy-looking outfit. And I went to great pains to make sure that I duplicated that outfit exactly. And I mean, I, I got like a dozen reference photos to make sure that all the little seams that I got the zipper straight down the, the front of her outfit and the seams on her breasts and on the little mini skirt thing that she's got. And the little straps that connect up, you know, around her hips and then the little garter. All these little tiny freaking details. Every last one of them is absolutely correct. I spent hours getting it right. And there are people going, man, I, is, is that... Is that that character from the game? I don't know. It's fucking Cosmos from Xenosaga people. It is fucking Cosmos. It is one of the best-selling PS2 games of all time. It got to one of those classic things where it sold so many copies they can practically give them away for 20 bucks. How could you not recognize that? I mean, I even did the hair, the blue hair just like Cosmos had in the game. Ah, oh, I was just I I couldn't believe it when people were saying, "I don't know who that is." And it just may next Halloween I'm going to have them in T-shirts and jeans or something. Why even bother going to the trouble of having this outfit and going, you know, especially this outfit which is extraordinarily complex and compare it to Mika's, where she's got this fairly simple thing that's got, I mean, the most complicated thing on it is a little butterfly design. But Tresca's, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff, all the little panels and then the little doohickeys that are hanging off the panels and little tubes that go around her chest and the little uh, fish scale things or whatever they are up next to her shoulders. And even the little Cosmos thing that tra- that Cosmos has that says Tresca. All those little details. I went to all that freaking trouble. And the little spider falling in love with her. All these things. And people, I don't know who it is. <sighs> yeah, so I'm probably not going to put that much work into it next year, guys. Last but not least, page 304. That's hospitality. So we get a little bit of an explanation of this house actually is Tresca's. And she has someone to, to take care of it while she's gone. Because, you know, people are trusting in those places, I guess. And Tresca walks up to a room, and it's not something you really get to see because you don't ever get to see the whole floor plan of the house, but the idea is that it's a little bit of a split level thing. So there's maybe two or three steps up to Tresca's room back there where she's going in panel five. And the fireplace, which you can't really see here, you can go, if you go back to page 303, you can kind of see it. But the idea is that the fireplace sort of goes through from the living room and then also it connects through into Tresca's room as well so that you know you get access to the fireplace from both sides. And that was the idea for the home. And I guess that's it. That's all I got to talk about today. So thanks for listening. If you have comments or questions, send them to bman at com or post them in the forums. Some of the music provided tonight was from the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com. So there.